Advertising your business with GCN is simple, effective, and more affordable than you might think. Visit advertise.gcnlive.com for more info. Take your business to the next level. You can stick it to the man and big tech. Join our FTL social mastodon at social.freetalklive.com. To declare your independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! doing the beginning of a special, special, special show. Um, What's going on is we have um, just launched the new show starting Monday. I'm going to be doing daily shows again, like in the olden days. It'd be morning coffee. Here we go. And the tack that we're going to take is we're going to make it local and focus on Arizona as an example. We keep getting sucked out of Arizona and on a national an international basis and so on and our bones were really being able to have an impact on our local community and we wanted to make sure that we were able to do that as an example and inspiration to others And there's a lot of great talent here that we want to emphasize that will support the ideology that we're willing to uh, make a lot of sacrifices for and one of these individuals a young man named Keith Knight don't tread on anyone. Keith Knight is the managing editor at the Libertarian Institute. Now, also, there is a meeting that we do. It's a, a supper club that has been around for decades. I mean, God, 30, 40, 40 years or more. And Keith and I are both members of that. And it's a lot of influential politicos or whatever. And I'm the anarchist of, are you still voting? But uh, Keith has now moved up into a leadership position in that group. And tell us about that group. And this next week, a Reason uh, columnist, a reporter, is coming to speak about journalism in America and such. But go ahead and talk about, as such a young man, to be in a leadership role with that and taking the next generation of that going forward. It's kind of a touchstone for all things politics in Arizona. So it's entertainment, at least. So go ahead ahead and tell us, start with that, and then all the other stuff that you're doing, and why the people start to figure out why I'm going to emphasize your work so much. Go, man. 
So the Anderson Reed Group is a uh, more or less a uh, book club, I think, that uh, meets for dinners. And I just always have a blast. Like, it, it is very difficult to say, well, uh, we've had these discussions and the non-aggression principle should be embraced and the Federal Reserve should end. And that seems like it's only going to take 200 years. So what are we going to do in the meantime? Well, if you're going to have friends in this world, you might as well surround yourself with uh, the very people who say, you know what, instead of the fake divides of, you know, America needs to take on Iran or the rich versus the poor or whites versus blacks. Well, at meetings like this, you actually have uh, discussions about true divides and uh, actual ways you can look at the world. And instead of having those fake divides, you say, look, a genuine divide is people who do things voluntarily through persuasion and voluntary exchange versus people who engage in fraudulent uh, exchanges and those who steal from each other. So once you have that basis, then it's such a great foundation to make uh, friendships uh, sort of grow. So that's the Anderson Reid Group. I always have a blast there. Great uh, discussion group because it's very encouraging. So it's a bunch of people who are very uh, well-read and uh, are always interesting to have discussions. And as time has gone on over the decades, all of a sudden, everybody's a libertarian now, you know? So Well, this- yeah, that, that was the big divide uh, for, for COVID. Uh, people were so confident saying, well, there's no libertarians in a pandemic. And then it turns out uh, the states with the least amount of uh, restrictions not only uh, saw the uh, smallest decrease in uh, the amount of poverty because people had to stop going to work as a result of governor mandates and everything. We actually didn't see a correlation between places that locked down and places that did not lock down. So places like Florida had a uh, ton of domestic immigrants come in. So even after that, uh, after COVID, where people said, this is why you can't have something like libertarianism, after the years go by, well, then people are like, well, I guess the libertarian policy was the best approach. Same thing with the war on terror. We get attacked on 9-11, and people say, well, this uh, had to have been a result of us having too much freedom. But as the years go by, people like Scott Horton mention, well, uh, this was the result of uh, the U.S. having a bombing campaign throughout the 90s in Iraq. It was about support for Israel and and their atrocities in the Kana massacre in Lebanon, and it was about uh, sanctions on uh, Iraq as well as well as uh, having uh, you know uh, military bases in Mecca and Medina, which were seen as an occupying force. So, in the case of COVID. Uh, we were laughed at, and then people uh, finally said, well, you're actually right about that. In the case of Iraq and Afghanistan, well, it took a long time, but people said, well, even there, there's not a good justification to have a big interventionist state. So you got to find friends along the way at places like ARG to uh, get you through the rough times of being called a loser until they say, well, yeah, you were right, uh, and then they just move on. Right, right, right. Then, 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 I was always libertarian like you. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. So what I wanted to do is have you explain to the people what your revelations were over time, why we can be comfortable in your rhetoric and what you had to say, what prompted your first book, and what it was about. So I'll give you a a monologue. Go, man. Okay. So originally I was a progressive because I thought, well, it's better to give people things for free, like healthcare, education, schooling, and housing, as opposed to charging them, because not everyone can buy everything. And then the second reason was progressivism treats people on an equal basis, whereas uh, there are you know unjust hierarchies uh, in other philosophies. So on the first concept of 
progressivism uh, that everything is free, they immediately see how fallacious this is if you say, well, don't complain about the cost of military spending because the military is free. You know, government pays for it. The fact that they have been able to convince people that the state first confiscating 30% of your wealth and then offering you a subpar product counts as something free is just absolutely shocking. So it's never free. You're always using some scarce money or resources, allocating them to some ends at the uh, desire of the political class instead of at the desire of consumers. The second thing is that when you give some organizations dollars, whether they're printed, whether they're tax dollars, you're increasing the amount of societal power that they have. So whether it goes to Catholic schools or libertarian schools or state schools, you're changing the uh, amount of power imbalances that exist in society. So the fact that I ever thought that the state could create free things is what I refer to in this book as the Santa Claus mindset, where the state just has things and it distributes them freely. But just because uh, something's being funded coercively and then distributed doesn't make it universal, doesn't mean the poor can access it more. In the case of uh, the military. It's not like uh, the military's free. And even when you take something like the police or the courts, the progressive doesn't describe those things as free, guaranteed, universal justice. They go, oh, yeah, that's completely corrupt. Uh, the police should be abolished and uh, d- defunded as well. So uh, that was uh, the first thing I came across. There's no such thing as free. Second, on the case of equality and treating people with dignity, for some reason, uh, people think that uh, the state is the mechanism to achieve equality, something that's never existed in any society. But there's a few things about the state which make it the most unequal institution in society. First, they have a monopoly right to issue taxes. If any other organization tried issuing taxes, they'd correctly be seen as a thief. Uh, according to the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, they have the sole monopoly right to uh, print money out of thin air through the central bank. So that makes uh, society extremely unequal. Most states have the right to conscript men into the military or have the Selective Service Act. So forced labor against someone's will, that is extremely unequal. They have things like uh, double standards in uh, law, where if you commit murder and Joe Biden orders someone to commit murder in Kabul or Iran or Yemen or Russia or Ukraine, well, then it's not murder. So the state explicitly has a right to do things that no one else does. In the case of murder, that's a pretty significant inequality. And then finally, uh, the big one is uh, compulsory education. So if any group tried uh, threatening parents uh, the a mandate to first fund an educational facility and then have to send their children there, Well, that is pretty unequal when one group in society has a monopoly on doing that. So I came to progressivism because I thought things could be free and equal. Turns out those are both fallacious. That's why I came to progressivism, and that's why I left. Why you let? Well, what were you joined? Just a philosophy, just thinking, just talking to your family. Was there anyone? resistant or trying to help you out on uh, yeah your stake and thinking was grandma going man you shouldn't be doing this and then you know you, you you stopped advocating for progressivism i guess liberal or whatever you want to call it and then you started advocating liberty go no 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 the pendulum went too far that way you're doing it wrong again i mean i'm just you know tell me about your personal life with family and friends of this transition Yeah, they all thought it was uh, psychotic and religious and terribly fascist and 
tyranny, you know, at the behest of the Koch brothers or anything. See, the Koch brothers giving people money voluntarily is pure evil. The state confiscating $6.27 trillion annually, not evil at all. No, that's totally legitimate. But what put the nail in the coffin was a story that I published on page 29 of Domestic Imperialism. Just going to read a section of it. This got me from saying, you know, the non-aggression principle is how things should be. But, you know, there's uh, it's, it's really hard to, you know, sort of enforce uh, something like this when you see the actual tragedy that uh, the state uh, the, that the state commits under the guise of helping people. Then you really see progressivism in its nature. So here is a short section from the book uh, citing a story from Kansas City, Missouri in uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, Kansas City, Missouri in 2018. The health department speaking out after it poured bleach on food intended to be given to the homeless. Nellie McCool, who helps run Free Hot Soup Kansas City, has been helping the homeless for years until Sunday. Quote, officers and health inspectors demanded we destroy our food and we were violating health code violations by sharing meals with our friends, said McCool. The department said it wasn't following the law about serving the homeless. Dr. Rex Archer, director of health for KCMO, says... They were notified back in a meeting in September that they needed to get a permit, and they just outright refused to do that. At one of the sites where they were informed that they were not able to serve because they didn't have a permit and were, were not doing it safely, they threw some food at our inspector. Standard procedure in public health is to go ahead and pour bleach on the food so that people won't consume something that is dangerous, <laughs> said Dr. Archer So. This is one of the dozens and dozens and dozens of stories that you come across where there's one party, the donors, giving food, services, housing, health care to people who are in need, and then a third party coercively coming in and forcibly stopping the exchange from happening. Once I saw the real coercion of the state and what they feel entitled to do in order to stop consenting adults from engaging in voluntary exchanges— Then I just got so furious, I started, you know, talking to other libertarians, started writing, started making videos and whatnot. But that's how evil it gets. And the people like Dr. Rex Archer will go on record proud of how they uh, were, you know, just enforcing the law under the guise of helping the people who they were forcibly stopping from getting food. So it's just amazing. Uh, Those are uh, the things that really motivated What was your age at that time? You know, uh, the, one of those first stories that I came across, it might have been uh, something Adam Kokesh uh, had done. Maybe it was like his lemonade stand video in Washington, D.C. I must have been 17 or 18 uh, at the time. But uh, when I came across this one, like five years ago, so I was uh, So how old are you now? I mean, you're... you're 27. Oh, my God. You're not even 30 yet. I mean, you're in your 20... Youngin, but... If this is what we got to look forward to, Generation Next are coming, hell yeah. It's going to be a food thing. So when it devolves to that, then it becomes a bunch of other things. They're going with this freedom convoy or whatever down to Texas. And in Texas, it's not going to be like January 6th. I bet you a bunch of people got guns, okay? So I'm like, eh, you know, let me know how it works out. I'm not going to that one for any more reason I didn't go to January 6th. I had enough, you know... Federal agents wanting to play with me just for interviewing people there. But the, um, so it's not that I'm not willing, you know, I, I fight for whatever. Who's in charge? Who gets to, to say 
what my rhetoric is. How do you get to identify? You got to wear a certain kind of hat. You know, you got to have the correct sign. And and then they won't ever show the sign that like Keith or I would bring. You know, there's always, you know, somebody else's sign they're going to emphasize and say that represented us. So this that's coming, I'm sure you have noticed it, heard about it, have an opinion, all the states coming together, you know, to support Abbott, and we're going to be up against, you know, the federal government and the man and stuff. Give me your impression of what this is all about, what you think might happen. Oh, gosh, I have no clue what's going to happen, just because a lot of our evidence comes from politicians who uh, have no incentive to tell the truth because they get funds coercively. But this actually gets to the issue of whether or not uh, there should be one federal monopoly or there should be 50 competitors as far as providing things like laws for people to live under. So the ultimate contradiction of progressivism is that monopolies are really bad, therefore we need a state. However, the state is the most violent, dangerous monopolist. So when it comes to the federal government and Texas having a dispute as to what should happen, it's not necessarily right whatever, you know, the governor of Texas decides if he, you know, advocates murdering innocent people. It's not like, well, that's the law. That's still unjust. But this will actually uh, put the... Uh, pedal to the metal, so to speak, or, uh, you know, really show us whether or not uh, people are going to advocate a system of totally centralized monopoly provision of law and order, or if they're going to say, well, uh, it's better to have 50 states competing for which laws are best. However you define best, 50 competitors are always better than a single monopolist. So um, I'm actually rooting for uh, people in Texas and Governor Abbott on uh, on this one. I'm sure he's terrible on a uh, ton of other things, but uh, just the concept of fighting against centralized control. I mean, we have to we're always told we have to be totally fearful of Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin and Iran. Yet uh, those people are not constantly taking 30 percent of our income and threatening to conscript us if they choose to provoke a war, whereas the federal government is. So these are the very people you're terrified might take over in an anarchist society. So we got to support any movement toward states' rights because that means more secession. That means more empowering of individuals. And it fights the state's ultimate monopoly on uh, being the ultimate decision maker on a geographical area. More competition, the better. I'm rooting for texas how do you think this is going to play out the narrative i am trying to think of what a genuine divide would be because what it is between trump and haley is more or less what it also is between trump and biden so i think what someone like nikki haley and joe biden are running on is one that uh joe biden is a little more compassionate and will give us much more stability however with all these pro-Palestine protests coming from the left side of the aisle, it is very uh, hard for him to make that argument this time around. Whereas in 2020, it was a lot easier for him to sell it as we're, you know, returning to normalcy and not having this terrible bore Donald Trump, you know, throwing wrenches into everything. Whereas the people who are supporting Trump, okay. You're supporting Biden. You want something like stability and maybe uh, more compassion for uh, those in vulnerable situations. Off. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, that, that's real compassionate. Of course, the left is always saying, well, you're not responsible for loans that you chose to take out, but you are responsible for slavery that happened 150 years ago. It's completely ridiculous. So 
people who are supporting Trump, especially after the Mar-a-Lago raid of uh, some years ago, are essentially saying that we feel like this is the first person who has genuinely stood up for us in a long time. Not because they've read all the legislation that he passed or loved his you know, advocacy of Fauci and COVID lockdowns and drastic increases in spending. But basically, in 2016, he was the one person who was really calling the media the psychotic line crooks that they are. And the media mostly consists of people calling uh, us sexist, racist, classist, xenophobes who are just so freaking ignorant because we don't vote Democrat. Well, Trump finally comes along and punches that bully who's been picking on you for all these years, telling you how privileged you are while they work, you know, at this nice studio in NBC. And, you know, you know, some truck drivers hearing about his inherent white male privilege as he has to sign his son up for selective service slavery once he turns 18. So people got so sick of that. They're like, you know what? I don't know much about Trump, but if I hate the people who are constantly picking on me and all I have is this one bully, I am going to support him. It also was crystal clear in 2020 after 50 intelligence officials came out and said Hunter Biden's laptop appears to be Russian disinformation. Joe Biden said this on the presidential debate stage and the story turned out to be a complete hoax. It, of course, was actually Hunter Biden's laptop left at, I believe, a Delaware repair shop. But this was tons of intel uh uh, intelligence spooks coming together from both parties who were singling out Trump. So people who want Biden are looking for alleged stability, even though, you know, the Russia-Ukraine war hasn't exactly ended. There's terrible uh, relations with Israel and Palestine. But people who are supporting Trump are just saying, I am so sick of getting called all these terrible things when I'm just doing my damn best here. So I'm going to support Trump because uh, he... Uh, is the one guy sort of throwing a wrench into your guys' narratives, and they love to see the meltdowns. Stephen Colbert, Rachel Maddow, you know, the woman screaming uh, at Trump's inauguration, just screaming, no! They just live for that. It's much more about that uh, than, you know, just meme uh, generators. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It has to be. I mean, the cost of getting politically informed is so high. You have to read hundreds and maybe thousands of books. You have to research all these politicians. Look at how credible they are. You have to read all previous legislation and read, you know, Supreme Court documents. And all you get is one in 10 million vote in your state, uh, which is not going to change the outcome. So people have no incentive to do all that work to get one vote. So instead, they just go by a heuristic or some sort of rule of thumb. It's like the deep state's full of a bunch of lying criminals who uh, advocate mass murder campaigns. Trump's against that. That's what I'm going for. You have to use rules of thumb. So uh, Javier Malay really uh, showed us how to um, really get under people's skin and show them that the true divide is between parasites and producers, regardless of what level of income you're at. It's people who do things voluntarily and productively, and people who do things coercively and unproductively uh, is the true divide. So I think we need we can learn a lot from Trump as far as uh, the ability to uh, use a populist message to really rile people's emotions. So I want you to sell us on your book, Domestic Imperialism, man. Tell me what prompted you writing it, what's in there, what the update, what's the message, why they should get it, and what it's going to teach them. Go, man.
What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com. danpilla.com. USA News Update. A former IRS contractor who disclosed tax records, including those of former President Donald Trump, is now facing prison time. Charles Littlejohn has been sentenced to five years in prison. He entered a guilty plea in October, admitting to one count of unauthorized disclosure of tax returns. A warning has been issued to Americans regarding travel to the Bahamas. The State Department issued a Level 2 advisory alerting travelers to potential risks in the area. The advisory is prompted by the occurrence of at least 18 murders in the Bahamas so far this year. Fans of the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers who are considering a trip to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl might need some luck to afford it. The most affordable ticket available on the NFL Ticket Exchange via Ticketmaster is priced at nearly $11,000 after fees. That's for a single seat in an upper-level end zone section at Allegiant Stadium. John Schaefer, USA News. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system. And it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. The first word is shop, spelled S-H-O-P, then the word super, and then the word tea. The complete website is shopsupertea.com, or call us at 818-984-6100, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100, shopsupertea.com. Wellness and self-care doesn't have to be complicated. So keep it simple and take good care of yourself with Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Our heating pads soothe pains in the neck, back, and shoulders while relaxing muscles and increasing blood circulation. Sunny Bay Heating Pads have always been made in the USA and hand-filled to perfection with the highest quality materials. Sunny Bay Heating Pads are the perfect wellness gift for loved ones or yourself. See all of our high-quality products at sunny-bay.com, including heated body pads, neck pillows, heated neck and body wraps, and our stress-reducing lavender line. They're all affordable, durable, and in stock now and ready for immediate shipping direct from sunny-bay.com. Read our trusted, authentic, and real reviews at sunny-bay.com or just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pad. To your good health and wellness from Sunny Bay.
appreciate what we do? Help us advertise, market, and promote for just $5 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. It's the Ernest Hancock Show, where we're going, there aren't any roads. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. With fees of less than a penny per transaction, Dash is made for spending. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month for this sponsorship. It's easy to get and use Dash. You can learn more at Dash.org. That's Dash.org. Welcome back. Welcome back to Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock, on the Free Talk Live Network. We're continuing our conversation this evening with Keith Knight, podcaster, Don't Tread on Anyone. He's also the managing editor at the LibertarianInstitute.org. He's organizer of the Voluntarist Handbook and host of Don't Tread on Anyone podcast. Now, domestic and Imperialism is a new book that he's written from the perspective of a young man that was a progressive. And he went full tilt the other way, the pendulum done swung to the right. Well, let's go ahead and continue our conversation, and I think you'll understand why I'm highlighting this young man. Enjoy. The deep state's full of a bunch of lying criminals who uh, advocate mass murder campaigns. Trump's against that. That's what I'm going for. You have to use rules of thumb. So uh, Javier Malay really uh, showed us how to um, really get under people's skin and show them that the true divide is between parasites and producers, regardless of what level of income you're at. It's people who do things voluntarily and productively and people who do things coercively and unproductively. Uh, is the true divide. So I think we need we can learn a lot from Trump as far as uh, the ability to uh, use a populist message to really rile people's emotions. So I want you to sell us on your book, Domestic Imperialism, man. Tell me what prompted you writing it, what's in there, what's the update, what's the message, why they should get it, and what it's going to teach them. Go, man. So what uh, probably prompted me was looking at how small books like The Communist Manifesto and Theodore Herzl's A Jewish State are, and I was thinking, gosh, we need something like this. And we have books like uh, Anatomy of the State by Murray and Rothbard, which are great introductions, but I thought if I had to put in my own words what really took me away from the dominant view of statism today, which is progressivism since the days of Woodrow Wilson redefining the term freedom, that is mostly uh, what people think the state is totally legitimate uh, in doing, providing state assistance in health care, providing a regulatory framework, constantly spending on uh, the state's behalf, uh, declaring wars, as Woodrow Wilson did uh, against Germany in 1917. The state today declaring wars on behalf of protecting the nation, those are always used with progressive justifications, so I wanted to write my own version. Now, uh, in the title, Domestic Imperialism, what I'm getting at is that governments are always at war with their domestic population. The difference is the domestic population is the group that has unconditionally surrendered, more or less, to the government. So if you look at what Lyndon Johnson did in the Vietnam War, there was only shooting because the Vietnam uh, uh, the Viet Cong, rather, uh, did not unconditionally surrender, and then there would have been peace. Same with uh, the Japanese under Roosevelt. Anytime you have governments at war, if one of them just unconditionally surrenders, then there will be alleged peace, which means 
uh, total coercion under the dictates of whoever you surrender to. That is my claim, that government is currently at war with uh, every citizen, right? And um, it's no different in principle, whether it's the British Empire coercively imposing its will on South Africa or the Nelson Mandela regime coercively imposing its will on South Africans. Just because one is closer and one is further, it's still illegitimate. So when you, how do you not follow me on Twitter? Click that follow button immediately. Immediately. Um, Where am I at? All right, here we go. So uh, when it comes to... You happy the now? That, you happy? I went all big um, tech on you. I'm unhappy that it took this long. So when it comes to a concept that progressives are very proud uh, to oppose, the concept of imperialism, notice they don't differentiate between uh, what they call it is when, uh, uh, I guess if I had to come up with the definition that they would use, it's when one more powerful country is interacting with another country. They don't differentiate between, you know, bombing countries or trading with them or sanctioning with them. They just talk about it as an imposition. So if it's wrong for one government to do it to people far away in Iraq with sanctions, well, it makes no difference, uh, makes no difference whether they're doing it to people who are far away or very close. And as we can see in every case, the government you live under threatens your freedoms far more than any other uh, distant regime. This is primarily because the population as a whole has been taught from a young age to see these rulers as legitimate, which gives them the green light to take more of your money, control more of your interactions, etc. So that is the title of the book that uh, sort of explains it. And on the back, I actually try to summarize. If I said, well, if progressives are only willing to read one part of the book, uh, what uh, part should I put on the back? And here is how I try to introduce the idea to progressives uh, that they should second-guess themselves. I wrote, imagine the Catholic Church or any person or group of people doing what the government does every day. Everyone who doesn't give the Catholic Church 25% of his income every year will be put in jail. If he resists the Jesuit officer, the officer has the right to shoot him. Everyone by law must contribute to the Catholic Church fund, and if parents don't send their kids to Catholic Church school, they will be jailed for a truancy law violation. Most people need a license by force of law from the Catholic Church in order to work. This way, the Church can keep you and other customers safe. All humans have a nine-digit Catholic security number, so the Church knows who's who. If the Catholic Church decides to wage war on the Church of Scientology, everyone must be forced to fund the war, and men ages 18 to 45 will be conscripted to perform forced labor against their will. The problem with this situation is not that we don't get to vote on who the Pope is every four years, or that the votes need accurate counting. It's that some people claim an exemption from common sense morality by engaging in non-consensual activity. That is the one thing that I would ask progressives to read, just because I'm always curious to hear what they say. It's not the usual thing that they will get from Fox News or even The Blaze or even The Daily Wire. So um, that is uh, why I wrote the book. That's what the title means. And that's my brief introduction to hopefully grab the attention of progressives. Thank you. you know, what do you think is going to be the consensus of what's going to happen here in Arizona. I'm not talking about anywhere else. Arizona. Carrie Lake going to be VP. Carrie Lake's going to run for U.S. Senate. 
Carrie Lake's going to what? 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 We got Kirsten Cinema got elected U.S. Senate as a Democrat, went independent. There's another Democrat candidate in there. So it's going to be a Democrat candidate, Kirsten Cinema, Carrie Lake. And that's why they wanted to get her out because they were happy with Cinema. You know, I've known Cinema for a long time. So go ahead with all that said, your turn, man. Explain it to me. You know, uh, the Carrie Lake VP pick actually had not occurred to me. I was thinking Tulsi Gabbard, uh, just because uh, he, of course, wouldn't pick Nikki Haley. Maybe getting a woman on there, and, you know, Tulsi's very popular uh, from the right. He certainly <laughs> couldn't do Ramaswamy, because Ramasam- Ramaswamy just gave him. like a six-minute speech the other day at a Trump rally. And tr- you don't realize how dumb and simple-minded Trump looks until Ramaswamy is standing next to him. It's like j- it's so clear that he has to pick somewhat of a Mike Pence person because you know he had to get the you know Christian conservative, and you don't want the VP outshining the nominee. But uh, I was really uh, hoping Trump would pick someone like Tulsi. As far as uh, what Arizonans or the guys in the group are going to think. Your time preference definitely changes. So in a month like January, which we're in now, you might say, well, I don't care about the election. You know, uh, I support uh, the libertarian candidate. I'll write in Michael Rechtenwald. Democrats and Republicans are exactly the same. I think come November or on election night, a lot of them will be saying, God, I just love the fact that Trump turns this into much more of a circus and decreases the um, legitimacy of the state in the minds of the masses. uh, Rothbard famously said that uh, the state needs to be delegitimized, delegitimated, and desanctified because it's not necessarily rational arguments or graphs that are going to change people's minds. But doing those three things will uh, decrease the state's credibility and people will start to look for alternatives. So... As far as who can delegitimize the state and the corporate press, which gives the state so much credibility, it would be Donald Trump. And at the end of the day, I think uh, people are going to be wanting uh, Trump to win. So what that means is while the state's getting delegitimated, I do not want a sort of crash and burn. uh, It's referred to as apocalyptic scenario, even though apocalypse actually means revealing of truth, uh, which is my understanding. So uh, while delegitimizing the state, it's good to have something to back it up with. So while we can bash, you know, places like YouTube, it's important we have uh, people subscribe to Odyssey in case, you know, uh, something like YouTube goes under or they just uh, completely start banning people. The best example of this that I've come across, the importance of alternatives, is a 2008 book published by Walter E. Williams, black economist, and uh, he had said, uh, has a PhD in economics, actually, and in this book, he just makes the bulletproof case against taxicab medallions. This is the license in order for you to drive a car, which you're allowed to drive other people in if they want to give you money in exchange for having driven them. You need a license for that in New York City. And after, you know, 15 years or so, you still have that medallion in New York City, so all his great arguments unfortunately did not change the law however the medallion was more or less rendered obsolete because of uber and lyft and all of these alternatives that came up as far as giving people easier access to transportation at a uh, better quality and at a lower cost so when you see the importance of uh, alternatives actually coming into play um 
in the tech industry as well. Uh, well, before I forget, roads, something we're always being bugged about. There's great organizations like Vinci Concessions who are constantly building roads in multiple continents across uh, across the planet. So they're a great uh, alternative for road and infrastructure but what about building. The roads? Exactly, Vinci Concession. And I think the first road in America, the Philadelphia Lancaster Turnpike of 1795, uh, was privately built. So, yeah, that, that's been answered like a thousand times. It's shocking that people uh, say it with such uh, such confidence. But even something like security, people will constantly say both on the left and right that, well, the state does need to monopolize security. Uh, what I did is I ended up with a job in the tech field. And it turns out when uh, the rubber really meets the road, when people's most vulnerable, important information, their banking info and everything related to their small business, when that is at stake, when it's been stolen, hacked or uh, encrypted and now being uh, sold for ransom, they don't call 911. They call private tech companies who specialize in protecting their most sacred property. When my bank account, unfortunately, was hacked by you know some psycho, I won't get into those details, it was not the F- FBI who called me and said, hey, Keith, we're here to keep you safe. We're government. Uh, we found this out. What can we do to help? It was the greedy private for-profit bank that I belonged to, which got a hold of me and said, this doesn't sound like you. Did you do this? No. And then they gave me the refund. So we see private security everywhere. It's all about alternatives. So take the minute or so to sign up for uh, Odyssey and make sure you're subscribed to Ernest myself if you so wish, if you think uh, I have something valuable to offer, and especially guys like James Corbett on Odyssey. The importance of alternatives, it's all around us. In fact, it's so around us, you have to stop and really point out to people all of the alternatives that uh, that they have access to, because it's sort of like exposing a fish to, uh, to, to water in many cases. So, yes, Ernie, I'm very grateful of your uh, dedication to focus on alternatives. You know, it's... Um it's really for me, you know. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to uh, just quickly go over the Libertarian Party. Um, you know, I'm not impressed. You know, since we we use it as an activist uh, tool and uh, did really well with it, but the more you're always a victim of your success. The more you did, the, the more the you know the, the collectivists want to get. Oh, you're doing it wrong. We could raise more money and yeah. get more of this and more that and more votes and more subscribers and more members and more 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 more. As if that was the goal. That's not the goal. The goal is you know freedom. The goal is general public opinion. The goal that was the stated goal of the creation of the Libertarian Party, and then they keep trying to change. You know, so whatever. The um, there was the gentleman you talked about, Michael uh, Rechtenwald. He was a professor at um, New York University or something, and uh, and uh, at NYU. And he was a, I thought he was a academic teaching Marxism, and, you know, as an example, they'll do this, you know. But um, I visited this last summer, uh, my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and my nephews. And the three nephews, one's like a senior in college this year, the other one, you know, just started, the other one's a freshman in high school. So I got a good, great, I got an update, you know, from my kids you know, not being in school, and, you know, how things were. I hung out for a week, and we were having a good time and so on. But the youngest one is in drama and does whatever. So, of course, you know, you're getting the woke philosophy up. And I, you know, answer his question, he didn't care, you know, whatever. So we just hang out. From there I went 
to see on my way up to Maine, I got or New Hampshire in the Maine. I was hanging out with Richard Grove. He, uh, Grove, he lives it lives in Connecticut. So we stopped by, say, yo, what's up? And I was telling him about this. He goes, oh, he needs to you know get this show that he had yet to publish. He had just done the interview. It was with Michael Rechtenwald. And it was awesome. I was like, whoa, that, that was some good information right there on the use of Marxist ideology and their template for doing what they did to this country. This was planned. This is in the, got the manual right here. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. So I sent that to the mother because I knew she was kind of left-leaning anyway. And I said, look. You know, this is the truth of how this is done and so on. Give it to my nephew. But he's 14. I mean, you know, 13, 14 years old. I believe it's up to mom here whether you want to do that or not. But as an Uncle Ernie, I'm not going to not do it. I mean, you know, you need to have this tool. So if you watch this interview, it was him battling before all the main wokeness stuff that's happening over the last few years. He was in this since like 16. Just challenging these, trying to get rid of them because of something. So he understood a lot of the material and the rhetoric and the uh, literature that Richard Grove did. So they got to have an inside philosophical geek session there, and I learned a lot. To find out that he was a Libertarian Party, Party candidate was a surprise to me. I'm like, all right. Well, during that show, he was advocating Jeff Deist is, was the chief of staff for Ron Paul's congressional office in Washington. When Ron left, Jeff, you know, uh, eventually went over to uh, head the Mises Institute. And he, you know, done a lot of stuff, libertarian advocacy of whatever. And that means you're in the crowd with Lou Rockwell and Tom Woods and Bob Murphy and Scott Horton and Keith, you know, these kinds of guys. So he wanted to be, you know, get get deep in the libertarian kind of thing for whatever reason. Then to find out that he's a candidate for president, wanting to share these things, okay, that makes sense. But as I go over here and I look at his site, and uh, we'll bring it up here, you know, it says here in this, it goes... I can barely believe that I just wrote those words that I'm running for president as a libertarian. Several years ago, I was a professor at New York University and, a, and an avowed Marxist. What? Then, in the fall of 16, I dared to speak up about social justice madness on campuses across the U.S. and was promptly savaged by the woke mob who tried to cancel me because he was bringing up a lot of this technique that they were used was, you know, he wasn't supportive of, and as a Marxist, or at least an academic, he was making that point. So I wanted to talk about this. If Keith likes him, I, you know, I'll give him a shot. Donna's trying to get him on the show. I've been a big uh, Jacob Hornberger, you know, from Future Freedom Foundation fan. He's run for president last time. You know, I'm, you know, looking, I'm glad he's in there, but he's a big open border guy. Open border, open border, for a lot of libertarian reasons of open border. So I'm a free market people and goods going back and forth across borders guy, too. I mean, I'm not a secret about that. You know, all this welfare crap is what the problem is. A bunch of other stuff. They're, 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 people coming across the border is not the problem. It's the government's that's the problem. You know, and whole, we can go on and on about that. And I'm sure over the months coming, we will. But I did want to find out about, because Keith knows, explain to us, 
Rechtenwald and why he would call himself an avowed Marxist, or he was, and does he now, or is that a misprint? Help me out. No, it is not a misprint. I had him on my show for 60 minutes in order to clarify, and we went through a few things. So, uh, first of all, uh, classic Marxism attempts to divide the bourgeoisie, or the owners of capital, with the proletariat, the working masses. So, when the cultural Marxists came along and started the man-versus-woman divide and the black-versus-white divide, this came into conflict with the classical Marxists who said, no, 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 it's the working masses versus the 1%. Notice how they don't differentiate between the nation's 1% and the global 1%, which would include a lot of middle-class Americans, and they don't differentiate between people who are rich through voluntary exchange and people who are rich through theft or state contracts or anything else. So it's all ridiculous. But this is what uh, turned a lot of uh, Marxists away from uh, Marxism in general, because they started to notice the false divide that uh, all of Marxism, both economic and cultural, gives. So in short, uh, social justice or cultural Marxism is uh, completely false. In the case of feminism, they'll point to things like the gender wage gap, The problem is men are uh, much more likely to die on the job than women. Uh, Men take more risk. Men are more likely to be homeless. When it comes to the racial aspects of uh, cultural Marxism, basically every social justice uh, fallacy reigns. The main three are uh, problems that uh, blacks are experiencing today uh, were much smaller problems when racism was much worse in America. A lot of these problems uh, do not apply to uh, dark-skinned Asian and African immigrants to the U.S., indicating that it's actually a cultural problem as opposed to other people are racist. Uh, Asians have much higher incomes than whites on average. Uh, Of course, uh, this is hard to pin on white supremacy. And the third issue is that a lot of these problems, such as illegitimacy or lack of care of education, also apply to poor whites. So... That is the divide between the old-school Marxists and the new ones, and that's why it was so easy for Rechtenwald to know these things about social justice and to say that these are all fake. So then we get into economic Marxism. I had spoken with Rechtenwald about what was it that uh, made him switch uh, from being an economic Marxist to a libertarian Marxist, and the one I hope I remember this correctly because uh, he had said that it was – Uh, This article, Marxist and Austrian Class Analysis by Hans Hoppe, which you can find in the Voluntarist Handbook, a book that the Libertarian Institute published. Here's the summary of what Hans Hoppe says Marxists and Austrians are libertarians. Before you go further, Hans Hoppe, he spoke at Freedom Summit. you got to explain who he is, just throwing his name out doesn't mean anything. But one thing that he did with, uh, I thought was pertinent, and he goes, we're better off with a monarchy because there's only one guy take out (laughs) but you know somebody's responsible for something and they got some free market goals you know they want to get rich just so it was kind of interesting that he puts a different twist on things but go ahead and explain to hans hoppe um guy was it it's a three-word name hans uh anyway hans herman hoppe yeah hans herman Uh, hoppe Ph.D. professor from the University of Nevada, worked at the University of Nevada with uh, Marianne Rothbard. He moved here uh, from Germany. Uh, he actually did live in East Germany and, you know, has uh, claimed that uh, the Bolshevik regime confiscated his family's property. So with this in mind, uh, he had learned quite a bit about um, economics and went from being a Marxist to an Austrian. 
And the question that a lot of uh, libertarians have to sort of come to grips with is, how did this philosophy of Marxism capture so much of China, so much of Russia, or going from East Germany all the way to Vladivostok, a lot of African countries and a lot of American professors? How is it that it's so pop? He's saying that there is some truth uh, within uh, Marxism. He says, here are the five points of Marxism that are correct. One, the history of mankind is the history of class struggles. It is a history of struggle between a relatively small ruling elite and a larger class of the exploited. The ruling class is unified by its common interest in upholding its exploitative position and maximizing its exploitatively appropriated surplus product. Class rule manifests itself primarily in specific arrangements regarding the assignment of property rights. Internally, the process of competition within the ruling class generates a tendency toward increasing concentration and centralization. Finally, with the centralization and expansion of exploited rule gradually approaching its ultimate limit of world domination, class rule will increasingly become compatible with the further development and improvement of productive forces. Never in my whole life did I swear allegiance to him. It matters not. He is your king. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana and vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. 